Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikey Gennetti. And I am Tony Stetchane. Welcome to episode 145, Return of the Funker. Who's the Funker? Which Funker? What the Funk? I guess we'll find what out the funk? maybe Who at the some funk? point during the show. Uh, which Funk? What if it's George Clinton? Hope you brought the Parliament. Um, the Parliament Funkadelic? Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> this was a supercard produced by ECW. It would take place on February 25th, 1995 at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with an attendance of 1,150. Whoa. Where'd they put the extra 150? They probably took out one of the concession stands. Opened up the eagle's nest a little more. Maybe. (laughs) We're downsizing the eagle's nest. (laughs) Maybe so they could... Oh, never mind. I was going to say maybe so they could pay Marty Jannetty, but... Marty Jannetty takes what Marty Jannetty gets. (laughs) Someone got some weed? Oh, wait. I mean, if it was weed, we probably wouldn't have had a problem with Marty Jannetty. (laughs) Probably still be making big bucks. Maybe doing, like, mid-card matches, but they'd be good mid-card matches. Oh, yeah. He'd be showing up in Impact these days, you know. Oh, I wasn't going that far. I was talking about, like, <laughs> I was talking about this point in time in the WWF. Like, uh, when Owen is finally done with Brett or whatever, how about an Owen Hart-Marty Jannetty match? That would yeah, be great. That would be good. But I'd watch. I would love to. But we are back in Philly. Boy, are we ever. Motown Boy. Philly. Back again. <laughs> um, yes, we're back in Philly, which means Shane had to once again figure out what the fuck do people in Philly eat, because we eat there every other week, it seems. So, coincidentally, the day that we're recording this... I bet they eat burger cookies. I bet they do, too. If they don't, they should, because those things are fucking great. Yeah, we're back in Philly, so I had to figure out again what to get from Philly or to represent Philly. And coincidentally, today, the the day that we're recording this, it is National Sandwich Day. So I figured... It's like our favorite day of the year. Gotta figure out some sort of sandwich again. We've had Phillies, and we've had more Phillies, and we've had Phillies with... Pizza wrapped around them. Oh, wow. I we've had good Phillies. We've had bad Phillies. We had so, a bad Philly once. And it was bad enough to where I don't know if I want to order another Philly for a while. <laughs> so as I'm looking through what are some of the best sandwiches in Philly, I came across two and I couldn't decide. One was one was from a place called uh, Rocco's Italian Sausage. Uh, the sausage sandwich at Rocco's Italian Sausage. The other one was the meatball hoagie from Georgia's Sandwich Shop. I decided to uh, hit up a local place here in Oklahoma City called Hobby's Hoagies and get one of their meatball subs and one of their Italian sausages because I couldn't decide which one I wanted more. And they kind of made the choice for me because they brought me the meatball sub as it's supposed to be and then they brought the Italian sausage and didn't quite make it the way it's supposed to. 
So I pulled the sausage off of it and combined it in with the uh, meatball, added a little more Parmesan to it, but I think it's got some melted provolone on there. I believe these are supposed to be handmade meatballs from there. Oh yeah, Hobby Hoagie's meatballs. Are, are they? Great. They're great. I've, See, I've never yeah. had one from there, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. Hobby Hoagie's was a, a staple for me. Yep. Hobby's is good. Anything I've had from there, they're Philly sandwiches, they're Italians. I've had a slice of pizza from there. It was good. They've got little snacks that they make there as well. So I'm going to do my obligatory bite in the mic because, yeah. So here we go. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Make two sandwiches one because here on WHX, we are gluttons for punishment. That's right. We watch the matches so you don't have to. Exactly. We eat. And sometimes we, we yeah. eat the stuff so you know not to. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we, we take in the calories. This is good, though. Meatball, Italian sausage. Yeah, meatball had really good flavor. Mm-hmm. So did the marinara. They're damn tasty. Yeah, there's nothing worse than like a bad meatball. It's yeah. like weird and tough. It's like, it's what right. are we doing here? That's correct. Well, while we're still chomping down on these delicious sandwiches, something that happened right around the same time, the movie Outbreak was released to theaters a couple weeks later. Oh, no. Um, oh, shit. It's, I was going to say Al Pacino. It's not Al Pacino. Dustin it's Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Ratso Rizzo. Rain Man. The Rene gra- Russo. The, the Graduate. Yeah, I thought so, that's where you were going, was Rene Russo. <laughs> Rene Russo. No, no, um, it was Ratso Rizzo first. Yeah, from Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. yeah. It always um, confused me when John Voight got paid to get his dick sucked <laughs> in that movie. Uh, but, you know, that's beside the point. We're talking about Outbreak, the monkey movie. That's right. Starring Marcel from Friends. That's right. <laughs> is it really the same monkey? It yeah. is. Really? Yep. That's funny. Because um, he was brought back on Friends for Outbreak 2, The mm, Virus Takes New York, wow. starring Jean-Claude Van Damme on Friends. Wow. And Drew Barrymore. But she never made a guest appearance on Friends. I remember the commercials for Outbreak. I think I watched it on TV, but I feel like this movie was just... I don't know if it was a huge hit, but I just remember not being able to escape it at the time, like, trailer-wise. In theaters, it wasn't as big of a hit. It was more of a, a it video. Hit, it hit TBS at, or uh, TNT at one point, and it... It just played for days. Yeah. Because yeah. I worked at Blockbuster shortly after it came out on video, and it was a big, a big rental. More so. of a Congo guy. I like fun. Congo. <laughs> I mean, this. I think this was the first movie that kind of showed us, like, what could happen. What could happen, <laughs> and as we've seen over the last eighteen months or so, that it it really uh, uh-huh. it really is as simple as you know someone jumping on a plane or sitting next to someone and just you know one cough. You what know, uh? Kind of thing. Who this is? I mean, I know Soderbergh made that Contagion movie, but I don't know who made Outbreak. I don't know if it was anybody worth a damn or not. I'm not really sure. Doesn't really. Yeah, matter. I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. But Outbreak was a movie that I don't think I know I've never seen. But I remember that it was just this. It seemed like they really went in on the advertising. It was another one of those since it was on TV all the time. It was another one of those that like I watched all the time. Wolfgang Peterson. Was the director? He also directed Das Boot. Ah, Air Force One. Oh, okay. I loved Air Force One when I was a little kid. See, this got him warmed up for Air Force One. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Air Force One with my grandma and being like, "This is the greatest thing ever. I got to show it to my dad." And my <laughs> showed it to my dad, and he just ripped apart because he was like, 
uh, an aircraft mechanic. So anytime there's an airplane in a movie, he just fucking pointed out all the errors. And it always made me so mad. Like, it's a movie. I don't care if it's real. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Remember yeah. Air Force One when it came out? On Harrison video? Ford curses and he's the president. It's cool. He's a badass. But yeah. Outbreak. It was it was uh, ahead of its time. It was enjoyable, but... It's not the it was Dustin one of those Hoffman that... movie of note. No. No, there's much better Dustin <laughs> Hoffman movies. Like, a couple years later, he's in Wag the Dog, and that one was a whole lot better. Mm. This is this is the fluff on uh, Dustin Hoffman's career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, get your monthly jab. So but we it don't may be one outbreak. of the best monkey movies. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Planet of the Apes. Original and uh, remake. The, I never really fucked with the remakes. The um, second one is my favorite because it's a bunch of like blind people living under the Earth's crust and worshipping an atom bomb. So it's just like <laughs> the right kind of bizarre bullshit for me to uh, really get into. Like, I can't believe this movie exists. But, you know, I'm a, I love the first one. The first one's actually a classic. This, and then they just get more and more ridiculous as they go on. But they're still fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love them. It's one of the better franchises that uh, that the the movies are fun. It's also one of the first franchises that like actually like folds in on itself and like Planet yeah. of the Apes is kind of ahead of its time in just like how deep it really goes into itself as opposed to like James Bond. It's like oh well, it's just James Bond. Mm-hmm. We're just getting another James Bond. But we got like six Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah, how about Planet of the Apes versus Congo the movie. I didn't love Congo. I mean, if we're gonna go for, you know, I think other Dunstan checks in. Chimps That's doing my sign language. Go back to Project X. Oh, or what about the what's the Matthew Broderick? Um, Gorillas in the Mist. Gorillas in the Mist was with Sigourney Weaver. I mean, that one's okay, I guess. Uh, Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> Mighty Joe Young is a tearjerker, and the original or the remake, both. Uh, yeah, both. I mean, I, I remember the Disney ones. So yeah, that was, I saw the Disney one in the theater. Um, and then King Kong, like the original King Kong, is an amazing film. Yeah. Also, the I kind of low key love the I believe it's the seventies or early eighties one, the one with Jeff Bridges, where yeah. King Kong rips the snake in half because oh. it's really gross. You can go back to the the Clint Eastwood oh, chip movies. We knew which his, way but loose. Oh yeah. Every which way. That's you an can orangutan. Or that's like not that. a monkey. Oh, sorry. We're not zoologists, <laughs> but we've got a zoo. We need to talk about it's the ECW zoo. That's right. Where anything goes. There. Yeah, they're definitely animals. So we get date and location cards shown before the title of the show, and then we head straight to our first match: the Pitbulls, a Pitbull one and Pitbull two, versus Chad Austin and Joel Goodhart. We haven't seen Chad Austin since Hardcore Heaven '94. Uh, he lost his cool jacket too. Episode 127. He sure did. He lost his manager as well. So I was trying to figure that out. If he lost his manager or if the Pitbulls lost their manager or did they all lose their manager? Because I don't remember seeing Jason anywhere. Jason's not around until later in the show because he has a match. Okay. Yeah. I think the Pitbulls should just be like a badass face team in ECW. Well, that's what I was thinking that they They might be a face team because I thought the crowd was cheering for them, but... I mean, I'm, a, I'm cheering for the Pitbulls. I've been a Pitbull fan for a minute now. You have been. Definitely have been. Since there was just one Pitbull. Yeah. 
So the match gets going with number one going after Austin with right hands, body slam, chops, before charging into a corner, only for Chad to move. But number one reverses Austin's whip attempt, sending him hard, chest first, into the corner. Chad tries for a spinning heel kick, but number one just shoves him away. So Austin then tries for a crucifix, but he's just dropped with a Samoan drop. He's just a little guy. I mean, compared to a pit bull. Mm-hmm. The pit bulls hit a double vertical suplex. Number two takes over with a gorilla press slam, sending Chad close enough to tagging Goodhart. Look See, at this, if, guys. If, if that text I sent you, Shane... Last week. That's what was, I was just getting ready was to say. <laughs> it would have been a minute and 39 seconds for this show. Here we and are. not an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Number two with a vicious clothesline. A drop kick. Number one sets Goodhart up on the top turnbuckle, then just kicks him down to the floor. Number one uses a crutch across the body of Joel before Irish whipping him into number two with an elbow. Back in the ring, the pit bulls with a double clothesline. And then number two slingshots number one over the ropes into a clothesline on Goodhart. The pit bulls then hit a super power bomb with number two covering for the pin and, and the, the win. win. One more time. ECW crowd <coughs> just can't give it up. Like, just do it again. We just want to see it one more time. It's that. like one more time. Nine one one. Same thing. Look at that. Yeah. After that last show where it was, every match was way longer than it needed to be with a whole bunch of shit in and, between. And no high spots. Yeah. We've got a quick, fast-moving, somewhat fun match to yeah. start off the show the, here. The so. Pitbulls throw around some smaller men in a convincing fashion. ECW won. WCW? <laughs> None. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> We then go to Joey Styles at ringside, where Raven and Stevie Richards join him for an interview. Raven says that Stevie has failed again, because he lost to Tommy Dreamer at double tables, and he is going to wash his hands in blood. Tommy Dreamer then makes his way down to to get face-to-face with Raven, telling him to shut up. I feel that. Raven is a turd. Mm-hmm. giving him one more warning before leaving to the back. Raven goes back to mumbling some nonsense, but Stevie then chimes in that he got beat up at the club the night before his match, and that's why he lost. But if those guys can beat me up, they can kick Dreamer's butt. So Richards then brings out the former ECW Tag Team Champions, the Broad Street Bullies. Did he get this idea from The Butcher? <laughs> Did the butcher book this? <laughs> Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson. Oh, it's been a while since we've heard those names. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Hotbody since Super Summer Sizzler Spectacular, episode 93, and Stetson since Ultra Clash 93, episode 101. The bullies say they are here to serve Raven as he's the voice for Generation X. Ugh. Raven then rolls into the ring when Tommy... St- comes running back out with a stop sign, using it over the head of the Broad Street Bullies before rolling into the ring to use it on Stevie. Raven is just standing in the corner even as Dreamer starts choking him, but the rest of the nest keep attacking from behind, finally pulling Tommy off and into the corner, when Raven charges in and starts to brawl with Dreamer. They continue to brawl down to the floor and to the back, 
until other wrestlers and officials can finally break them apart. I guess Raven kind of finally did something. Half of it was a bad promo. Yes. But hey, we, we have movement. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We have, <laughs> we have movement. It's not just uh, his, his locks dangling in front of his brow. Yeah, he's not sitting at a school desk or in the corner of a ring. I always remember people being like, oh yeah, Raven's cool. And I'm just like, is Raven cool? Raven became kind of cool, but in the beginning it was, what the fuck is Scotty, Johnny, whatever the hell his name, Polo doing out there? Yeah, but like he just doesn't feel like his character is very collected. It's very, very mishmash. But Tommy Dreamer, he's just Tommy Dreamer. So we got that. So we're headed to our second match. The Giant, Paul Loria. And Jason, the sexiest man on earth, versus Mikey Whipwreck and Hack Myers. Shaw! Oh, that's right. That's right, he's the Shaw. The Shaw. Laria and Jason attack from behind before the bell. But Hack and Whipwreck recover to hit stereo clotheslines, body slams, and sunset flips that show off some sexy and giant buns. Only for Paul and the sexiest man on earth to stay up and punch down. I mean... What a way to start this. Already, It's already fun. Mm-hmm. Mikey and Myers avoid the punches to kick low and hit another stereo clothesline. Hack then throws Whipwreck onto Loria before suplexing Mikey onto Jason's shoulders for a head scissors. The, uh, the old M-O-W. Mikey as a weapon. Or M-A-W. <laughs> the maw. Mikey as a weapon. I love when they throw Mikey around. The match settles down to see Myers body slam the giant, running into Whipwreck's boot, followed by a running elbow drop by Mikey for a two count. Drop kick by Whipwreck, clothesline by Hack to turn Loria inside out. We then see a rather large somebody at ringside in a hoodie and a purple mask. The purple mask man, who could he be? While Loria continues to be destroyed by a flying head scissors from Whipwreck. Followed by a combo headlock, head scissors combo by Mikey on the Giant and Jason to send them to the floor. Back in the ring, Whipwreck with a gut wrench on Luria. A that, top elbow drop and a low blow kick by Myers. I love Mikey watching Mikey learn, get creative and pull moves off. That move where he is lifted up by Paul Luria but then gets the his legs wrapped around and then doubles himself like basically yeah. barrel rolls barrel to rolls send to... both of them to the floor is so good and then he pops right back in to do a gut wrench power bomb on it's just like oh cool mikey like when it's he's just a little guy and we've just seen him stumble his way into wins and he's still the small guy but each match somebody's has... te- somebody's teaching him stuff and he's choosing to do interesting things mm-hmm. each week he has something more or something new and fun and exciting. Yeah, because like he's not this great catch guy, but the power moves he's learning are more interesting than just your typical vertical suplex or whatever. Yeah. Not, he, not one chin lock to be had. Not one. Mikey doesn't have time for that. He's scra- <laughs> yeah, he's scrappy. The giant fires up with a standing spin kick to break the momentum, bringing the sexiest man on earth in to hit a back elbow and a knee drop. They hit a double drop kick as a team before Loria hits a leaping clothesline and brack breaker. Jason and the Giant then climb to the top rope, where Loria is tossed off for a leg drop onto Mikey, followed by a flying clothesline from the sexiest man on earth. 
Jason with a backbreaker when the team climbs to the top rope again, this time for a front suplex of the Giant onto Whipwreck. Mikey is tossed to the outside where Jason utilizes a frying pan over his head oh my God. before crotching him on the top rope. Back in the Not ring, as Whipwrecks. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Back in the ring, the sexiest man on earth hits another backbreaker before hitting a springboard leg drop and an elbow drop, followed by body-pressing Laria on top of Whipwreck for a two-count. Love the, uh, like, you know, springboard slingshot leg drop. So good. So see, it's not just hack. Using Mikey as a weapon, Jason's using Laria as a weapon as well. I mean, it's funny because we've been seeing Jason, sexiest man on earth. He's been this, like, you know, shitty heel manager. But he's super tan, and way bu- way buffer than you think, and it's like, yeah, it makes sense for him to be tossing Paul Laurie around. And Paul Laurie is like maybe smaller than Mikey. It's hard yeah, to tell. Mikey's is. wearing like an XL T-shirt. Yeah, I mean, Paul kind of has that Ray Mysterio type, small, light build. Yeah, he's not as compact as Mysterio, no. but he is like uh, probably early, early Mysterio. Yeah, probably weighs the same as Mysterio, but he's got seven inches on him. <laughs> The giant puts a bow and arrow on, only for Mikey to escape and roll to the outside, where he is run into the ring post. Or at least that's what Joey tells us, as the video transfer is all blurry at this point. It's, you know, leaves a little to be desired. Back of the ring, Jason with a drop kick for a near fall, then hits an inverted crucifix powerbomb. Lance Archer's blackout. Yeah, they, uh, Joey calls it in, an inverted razor's edge, and I'm like, what is this move? Uh, this is neat. It looked like it hurt. With Whipwreck landing on his head, followed by the sexiest man on earth going for an elbow drop, only for Mikey to move to avoid. O'Connor roll attempt by Whipwreck, only for Jason to hold onto the ropes, so Mikey plays possum in the middle of the ring. So the sexiest man on earth goes up top, where Whipwreck beats him there, for a superplex. But that is blocked, and Jason tosses Mikey face first down to the mat. Hack then runs over to knock the sexiest man on earth off the mat, but recovers enough to toss Whipwreck out to the floor, only for Mikey to come back in with a top rope missile dropkick. Crawl to his corner for the hot tag. I mean, if you're going to get a hot tag, get that missile dropkick in first. (laughs) Looks good. Myers with right hands on everybody. Rubber band slam on Laria. Double noggin knocker. All four now brawling. When the Giant and Jason gain control in the corners. But Hack and Whipwreck reverse the Irish whip to send them into each other. Myers with the clothesline to the sexiest man on earth. While Mikey comes off the top with a bulldog for a two count on Laria. With Jason breaking up the pin. Followed by trying one of his own. Only for Hack to break it up. Everybody just starts making covers on everybody, which is them broken up by someone else. So I guess it didn't matter who the legal man was. It was a cover party. The sexiest man on earth then ducks a clothesline and slides out to the floor, with Whipwreck chasing after DeBrawl, using a stop sign, the guardrail, and a chair. When all of a sudden, the purple masked man runs into the ring, laying out Myers with a right hand and placing the giant on top of him. For the pin, and, and the, the win. win. Who was that masked man? Mr. Wrestling 3. It might just be. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. 
I'm not sure who it was. You don't know? I have no clue at this point. What if it was uh, Damon McDonald? It's old Mr. Hughes <laughs> coming back for another round. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, I would love for it to be the host of uh, one of the two hosts of my favorite wrestling podcast. But I'm sure it wasn't Damon McDonald, but good chance he was at the show. Missy Hyatt. No. <laughs> oh, if, if that was Missy Hyatt, she'd really been <laughs> she, through some stuff, and I don't wish let, it on anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she last we saw her, she was nasty sized in a nasty bill. So <laughs> who knows? Oh, remember Missy Hyatt with the nasties? What a good ta- what a good team up for three shows. It yeah. was or three, I guess three months basically. So we then go to our third match: Two Cold Scorpio. Versus Hector Guerrero. And I just got excited here. And you know what made me more excited? When they handshake before the oh. match. And I'm like, oh, we're getting <laughs> we're getting a good a goodie here. So the last time we saw Hector was at Survivor Series 1990 as the Gobbly Gooker. Oh fuck, I forgot he's the Gooker. Gooker. I'm that, a Gooker apologist. That was episode fifty. But if we want to talk about his in-ring work, that we actually knew who he was, yeah, that was at AWA Super Clash 3, wow. episode 23. The Grimmer Brothers. One of the few AWA... The only AWA. I guess it was. Yeah, because it was basically the Guerrero family. Just going head scissor crazy in 83, and we were like, damn. Or not 83, it was... Mankind, Cactus Jack, was in that match. Yes, but he was... He had a different... No, he was Cactus Jack. Was he Cactus Jack? Okay. He was just a very younger, slimmer Cactus Jack. (laughs) A man that's never lost weight, but never gained it quickly. (laughs) Mick Foley. Once he found it, it took... Yeah. Yeah. It took hold and... He never blew up. He just, like, gained, like, you know, a pound and a half a year (laughs) since birth. So the two men trade arm drags to start before moving to mat wrestling, with each applying an ankle lock at the same time. Hector then gains control with a neck snap and locks on a bear hug before tossing Scorpio to the corner where he leaps up and tries to go over, only for Guerrero to catch him, but two cold counters into a head scissors to send Hector to the floor. Back in the ring, Guerrero goes into an ab stretch, turning it into a backbreaker for a two count before tossing Scorpio to the ropes who comes back with a sunset flip for a near fall. Hector goes into a hammerlock submission maneuver before starting to drive his knee into the shoulder. Guerrero throws Scorpio to the outside, putting him back in the hammerlock and throws him shoulder first into the ring post. Posted. Followed by slamming him into a chair held by a fan. Tries to make a pin on the floor, but the ref won't count it. Yeah, it's like you... I mean, it's not better. a false count anywhere. Maybe match. maybe Hector Guerrero didn't ask the rules, but he's watched some ECW and he's like, well, I mean, I guess there aren't any rules. <laughs> this is a no DQ promotion. Hector rolls into the ring to argue with the official, allowing Too Cold to regroup and attack from behind, hitting a back body drop for a two count. Scorpio goes for a crazy crucifix pin attempt, only for Guerrero to roll out, followed by the two trying some more pin attempts to no avail. Hector, with a turnbuckle smash, goes back to the hammerlock to take Too Cold to the mat, where he then attempts a splash, only for Scorpio to move. Too Cold with a punt kick and a thrust kick for a near fall, followed by a power bomb for a near fall. Guerrero pokes the ref in the eyes so that he can use some closed fists and European uppercuts 
on Scorpio, grabbing by the nose before hitting a back suplex for a near fall. I love Scorpio's powerbomb because he just like really throws him up and then puts like one hand up and slams him down. Like he basically pops him up really high and then dunks him down with one hand like he's like it's a damn dunk contest. Hector with a springboard splash for a two count, but Two Cold comes right back with a body slam and goes for a standing moonsault, only for Guerrero to move out of the way. Scorpio with another body slam, and this time he climbs the ropes for a high-risk moonsault, which misses as well, allowing Hector to roll up Two Cold. But the two men roll around the ring until Guerrero gets a two count. It's that whole um, like circle. Circle roll up thing, you know. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's it can be turned into a comedy move, but it's not used for a comedy move here, which yeah. was nice. Also, standing moonsault. Come on, man. <laughs> Just to go straight to a top rope moonsault, you're gonna hurt yourself. If Sabu yeah. did that, he'd be dead. Hector charges in with a clothesline, but Scorpio ducks and hits a urinagi for a near fall. The two men start trading waist locks with Guerrero getting the better of it for an O'Connor roll. But Scorpio rolls through, but they're in the ropes. Flapjack by Too Cold, knee drop to the head before heading up top for a 450 splash. To the back, for the pin, and, and the, the win. win. I mean, best match in the last four hours of wrestling. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, oh. It's also nice because, you know, we talked a lot about how Scorpio early on, I think he just got more comfortable. Yeah. Because he's he obviously can do this stuff, but I think maybe nervous in front of all those people. I'm sure Scorpio was doing flips no problem, you know, in yeah. smaller venues or on a smaller stage or just in practice. But Scorpio's, Scorpio's looking good. And also Hector Guerrero has a decade on Scorpio in ring. If. Not, if not more. more. And Hector, you know, I'm sure he doesn't look like an older man, but he's definitely much older than Scorpio. Yeah. And uh, he's keeping up and crisp and, uh, you know. It's a good showing. Yeah, good show. absolutely. I hope he got paid well. Absolutely. We then go to our fourth match. Ian Rotten versus Axel Rotten in a barbed wire baseball bat match. So Ian runs out while they're still setting up the match, as it's supposed to be a bat on the pole. But he yanks the official down from the apron and steals the bat and starts using it on the worker. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, did they, there's not even a pole in the corner. Yeah, they were still setting it up. Said, oh, they were still setting it up, okay. <laughs> Axel then comes out and immediately gets a chair from the crowd before getting in the ring where Axel uses the chair as a shield before heading out to the floor where he gets Ian to swing at him, only to duck so that he hits the ring post and drops the bat. You ever do that as a kid? But like, hit a dinger with, a, with like a metal baseball bat and your hands vibrate, and you're like, ooh, I don't like that feeling at all. Yep. Axel begins to use the barbed wire bat, scraping the back of Ian's head, before using the chair over the head. Ian comes back with a chair shot. Runs Axel into the post and takes a nightstick from a cop that is at ringside and uses it as well. I mean, shit. I, I wouldn't try to take a cop's nightstick. No, not a good, not a good look. Nah. Ian grabs the bat again before they roll into the ring, where he uses it, raking his brother's forehead for a two count. 
They head out to the floor with Ian running Axel into a ring post before tossing him into the crowd, tumbling over the guardrail himself, where we can see Ian is a bloody mess on the back of his head. Oh yeah, he's uh, they they made sure to get the blood quick, and it was all that because we all know with like barbed wire bat matches and stuff, if anybody was actually trying to hurt somebody with a bat, you just swing it. Because you can just break somebody's anything yep. with even a medium swing of a baseball yeah. bat. So when you rub it, cover it in barbed wire, people just use it and press it into each other. But he really did a good job of pressing it into the back of his brother's head. <laughs> Where, you know, the scar won't matter when you grow the hair out. So you're good to go. Axel with a chair shot, followed by running Ian into a chair held up by fans. While Ian is clearly blading. More chair shots from both before heading back to ringside. Ian slams Axel into the timekeeper's table, followed by a frying pan shot. Goddamn frying pans. Those frying pan shots are so brutal, because they're just like breaking over the head. Back into the ring, Ian has the barbed wire bat again, raking the forehead of Axel, which busts him open even more. Ian smashes the bat across the knee of Axel, where it sticks to his leg. Ugh, before Ian just uses part of the barbed wire again across the forehead. I know, I was trying to think. I was like, well, he's got a knee pad on him there. Is it stuck in the knee pad? Or, like, is it... It also gets hooked on stuff. So, like, wearing a t-shirt, you can do the thing where it's, like, it's less dangerous, but uh, it still looks scary to be, like, when it gets caught on your clothing because everybody knows that right underneath their clothing is their skin, blah, blah, blah. It adds uh, tension. Ian sets the bat on the top rope, then tries to whip Axel into it, but it's reversed, sending Ian face first into the barbed wire. Oh my god! Axel starts raking the face, the arm, and the back of Ian with the bat before choking him with it as well. At one point, he like stuck it down in his armpit and was like twisting it. And... Yeah, there's an artery over there. Be careful. <laughs> Axel with a big swing to knock Ian down for a two count before tossing him out to the floor, following out with a clothesline off the apron. A cookie tray shot over the head of Ian before tossing him out to the crowd again, where Axel suplexes his brother onto the bleachers. Axel continues by dropping an elbow, and then the two trade chair shots as they head back to ringside, but not till Ian steals a fan's belt to whip Axel with it. I know, I love that it's like, oh, the guy with the Slayer shirt, we're going to take his belt. <laughs> uh, Joey Styles also uh, throws some shade to WCW, where he's like, WCW's got a pay-per-view this month or next month called Uncensored. It's not going to look like this or whatever. Like, basically, he's like, they think they're fucking, they think they're going to do some shit. They're not going to, they fired uh, Cactus Jack because... They thought he was too like too violent, and he was the only one hurting him, anybody. He was hurting only himself, uh, so, you know, uncensored my ass. They head back into the ring with, with Axel using the bat once more. But Ian comes back with a pile driver for a two count, followed up by placing the bat on top of Axel before hitting a second rope splash, which just hurts both of them. Yeah, yeah he, like, puts the bat on him, splashes it, and then, like, takes the bat to his own gut. <laughs> The barbed wire bat? Axel recovers to then hit a face buster right on top of the barbed wire bat for the pin and And the the win. win. Post-match, Ian has the bat stuck to him, 
so he grabs it and continues to punish his brother with the barbed wire across the face before smashing the axle's bolts with the bat. Oh, not his bolts. Ouch. Um, this was better than their last little grudge match, I think. Because they got straight to it. I will say, if either of these men were smarter, the spot with that he splashed the onto the bat, this is what Sabu probably would have done. Put the bat on the guy, you put a chair over the bat, you leg drop the chair, and then the bat into the guy. Probably a lot more, obviously very dangerous. Yeah. I don't condone it, but it makes a lot more sense. And it's like, oh damn, like what a way to, fi- what a finish for a match, leg dropping a chair. It's like you still can sell your leg and get a slower pin and still get the pin because you just leg dropped. The chair is going to make sure that the back gets pressed in. You can have that one, Nick Gage, or any of you game-changing wrestling guys. Matt Court. Yeah, you need some, yeah, if you need some new light tube moves, I got a bat move for you. Take it. So we then go to our fifth match. Marty Jannetty versus the franchise Shane Douglas for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. I was... So, legit surprised me. Yeah. I mean, so pumped for Marty to be here. Also nervous, because it's like... How's Marty gonna be? <laughs> right? Because we know Shane Douglas is good. We haven't seen any issues, or I don't know about him having substance issues or anything like that. Whether he did or didn't, some guys did and chose when to use them. But Marty Jannetty, you know, it's a he, he, he's shown he can adventure. hang when he wants to. Yes, and he's when he's when he's on, he's so on, and when he's off, he's so off that they won't let him on. So. Uh, I was excited and interested, and then booze for Marty instead of Shane, which is interesting. Because he's a WWE guy. Or, sorry, WWF. Yes. So the last time we saw Marty was at Royal Rumble 94, which was episode 110. And Shane takes the mic to say that he's going to give Janetti a wrestling lesson, and we will have a classic wrestling match before going for a handshake, only to go for the cheap shot. But Marty catches the boot, spinning Douglas around, only to receive a forearm to the face. And uh, Shane, did he have a haircut last time we saw him? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So Marty, the last time we saw him, he was sailing off as the Undertaker, or was he actually in the Rumble? I'm trying to remember. I think both. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I think that is correct. Because I think he's in that Rumble for like a fucking second, <laughs> which is a real shame. Because we're like, well, that Rumble needed anything. And it only got a tiny bit of Marty Jannetty. But, uh, yeah. I like that Shane... I didn't realize Shane worked in the WWF because he says that him and Marty went up and down the roads together there. I'm trying to remember if he's already been there as Dean Douglas. No. Okay. Not yet. So maybe he was just doing some underneath talent stuff? Back when he was a carpenter. Oh, okay. Jannetty reverses a whip to try for an Okada roll for a two count. Following up with a clothesline and an arm drag for a near fall that sends the franchise to the floor to regroup. Back in the ring, Marty with a hurricanrana. He tries for a super kick, but Shane bells out to the floor to avoid. The crowd chants, we want Sean. I know, it's like, you fucking sons of bitches. This is already great, and you're fucking being dickheads. As Douglas re-enters the ring, where the two do some mat wrestling. Trading holds before Jannetty hits a power slam for a two count. The franchise takes control after a low blow. 
only for Marty to whiplash Shane, following up with a leaping fist drop, but another low blow stops the momentum and sends Janetti to the floor. Marty's looking good. Shane drags Marty to the apron for some forearms across the chest, only for Janetti to counter into a neckbreaker across the ropes, sliding into the ring and clotheslining Douglas over to the floor. Marty follows out to slam the franchise's head into the timekeeper's table, before sending him over a guardrail and into the crowd. Marty runs and leaps over with a clothesline as well. They brawl through the crowd and to the concession stand where we can't see them, before returning to ringside, where Shane with the not-so-rubber band slam of Janetti across the guardrail. Ouch. Douglas is handed a crutch, using it across Marty's back, before heading back into the ring to continue the punishment with knee drops and chokes. Shane puts on a bear hug to wear down Janetti before hitting a running clothesline for a two count. Marty then escapes to the outside to regroup, but Douglas follows out where the two send each other into guardrails, chairs, and finally Janetti hard into a ring post. Posted. The franchise sets up a pair of chairs to back body drop Marty onto, then swings away with one of them, only for Janetti to duck causing him to hit the ring post, followed by Marty super-kicking Shane multiple times. The spot where he slams him on the two chairs, just concrete there, and it's still like two chairs. These are, these are like pretty sturdy-looking chairs. It's like, Jesus. Back in the ring, Douglas takes control with right hands, but charges into a corner, where Janetti moves, sending the franchise shoulder-first into the post. Posted. Marty's working over Shane, knocking him out to the floor where he crotches Douglas across the guardrail before rolling him back into the ring to hit a rocker dropper for the pin. And no, the franchise kicks out. The crowd is hot and the crowd is now cheering for Marty. They use fickle, fickle sons of bitches. We want Sean. Boo. Marty comes out here, fucking turns it on with uh, Shane Douglas, who's... Also a great wrestler, putting on a fucking wrestling match. And now you're behind Marty? That's what Marty does. Comes in as that underdog and just wins the people over. Yeah. Well, he fucking he's fucking doing it for me. Like, you sons of bitches. You're being so rude six minutes ago, you fucking assholes. That natural high. Oh, yeah. Janetti hits an atomic drop and a super kick, and he goes up top for a falling fist. But Shane moves out of the way, so Marty hits a DDT for the near fall as Douglas gets a boot on the ropes. Janetti starts running the ropes and goes for a hurricanrana, only for the franchise to catch him and powerbomb Marty down, grabbing a handful of tights for the pin and And the the win. Sorry, Marty. Sorry, Batcha. Yeah, I love that, you know, Shane Douglas... Is a heel, but he's the hometown boy, and the crowd goes from Sean Chance to Marty Chance in the match. Also, that finishing segment, maybe the best super kick of all time. Marty throws the greatest super kick. It's so loud. I watched it back like six times, and you can't even see him slap his thigh. Yep. You can't even see it, and you know what's happening. I watched it so many times, and it's right on the money. And it's so loud and so perfect. So good. 
Yeah. I shit my pants about it. I was like, how did he, how was it that loud? Like, I, and I went back just to see the, the, the thigh slap. And it's just, you know it happened, but it's just not there. It is, but it isn't. It's really good. What is this guy's like David Blaine over here? We go to ringside. Joey's there. And he brings out Public Enemy. And Rocco Rock is in a wheelchair. And he says that he has paid the price of being on the streets. We beat Sabu and Taz the last time we were in this arena. And the referees got it wrong. With you the, were wrong. With the crowd sitting, chanting, yes. As you remember, it was double tables. Like, Taz and Grunge went, went through one table. And then Sabu went through a table. But the referee had his back turned, so he never saw it. So then... Rocco got put through one, and that's how Sabu and Taz won. Yeah, and then Rocco, obviously, selling the injury, went to the wheelchair, from the from the table to the wheelchair. All of a sudden, Benoit and Malenko run down and attack Grunge with a chair, before Dean rolls Rock and his wheelchair into a clothesline from the Crippler, and then into a guardrail. Johnny is fighting back in the ring versus Malenko, until Benoit hits him from behind with a chair followed by Dean whipping Grunge into a chair shot as well. All of a sudden, Sabu and Taz run into the ring and attack the triple threat, which leads us straight into our sixth match, the triple threat of Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko versus Sabu and Taz with Paul E. Dangerously for the ECW Tag Team Championships. I mean, it's a pure six already. Fuck yeah. Everybody's brawling <laughs> as we see Public Enemy make their way to the back. And the Maniac and Malenko head out to the floor to continue to brawl, but come back in as Sabu is clotheslined down to the mat by the Crippler. Sabu comes back with a body slam and a springboard leg drop onto Dean, while Taz hits an overhead belly-to-belly on Benoit that both get two counts. Sabu charges at Malenko, who low bridges the ropes, sending the homicidal one flying out to the floor allowing the triple threat to double-team the Maniac. Dean with a clothesline on Taz, Sabu comes back in, only to be met by multiple stalling brainbusters by Malenko for a near fall. I loved it. Those were some beautiful brainbusters. Sometimes a brainbuster is just a suplex, and they call it a brainbuster. This was a brainbuster. The triple threat hit a combo powerbomb bulldog on Sabu, but the Maniac sneaks in to hit suplexes on both men. Dean slows the momentum with a kick to the gut, locking on a full Nelson as Benoit climbs the ropes, only for Taz to reverse the hold, hitting a reverse vertical suplex before getting the crippler on his shoulders, which he drops throat first across the top rope, followed by a German suplex. This is like, okay, this is totally my shit. This is like, but it reminds me of a, like, the... This is the ECW version, the batshit wild version of like the Steiners uh, versus uh, Hase, Hase and uh, Muda, but like the good one, not the one that's not so good, but yeah. the good one. This is like a the ECW equivalent of that, right? In yeah. a way, yeah, yeah. It's like this is this is way more unhinged, but it's ECW, so it makes sense. But like they're just power moving the Christ out of each other, and everybody's hot for it. The Maniac gets Benoit up in the electric chair position once more, only for Malenko to chop block him, bringing them both down. 
Dean starts to work Taz's leg, locking on a submission maneuver as the crippler stomps on his head as well. But the maniac never submits. A maniac wouldn't submit. 911 then comes down to the ring to carry Taz to the back as he is hurt. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. Leaving ever. Sabu all alone versus the triple threat. Double back body drop by by the triple threat. Tries for another one, but Sabu counters into a drop kick to send both men to the floor, where Sabu follows out with a somersault plancha onto Malenko, then a tope suicida onto Benoit. All these Sabu things are just making me nervous the entire time that I'm watching it because didn't he just break his neck like two months ago? Yeah, plus on that um, <laughs> his somersault to the slingshot somersault to the floor, he misses Dean Malenko but, and Dean just like tries to catch him yep. and then he's LOL, silly Sabu, pops right back up, slides into the ring runs across and before he could even register if he was hurt whether he was or wasn't he's right back up and does a tope suicida out to the other side on the crippler Chris Benoit. It's hot, but if you could just slow down a little bit, buddy, maybe you would have landed them. Maybe Dean Malenko wouldn't pull pull um, the the muscles in his forearms trying to catch your ass <laughs> as you rocket to the floor. Scorpio, bro, where you at? Te- teach your boy some. <laughs> yeah, some restraint. Yeah, took a while for Scorpio <laughs> too, but you know. Sabu continues with a springboard moonsault out onto the crippler, followed by a top rope <laughs> crossbody onto the triple threat Damn. on the floor. Sabu then tosses a table into the ring before setting a chair to jump off of it over the ropes with a somersault plancha onto the two men. I mean, that's his new thing, is chair across the ropes. Well, no, this or is no, where he table. set it in yeah, the table. Yeah, that's what I meant. Table the across the ropes, chair on top of it. And it's like, this never works out very well. Sabu goes back into the ring, setting the table on the top rope, and brings Dean into the ring, body slamming him, followed by placing the chair on a table and heading up top, only for Benoit to knock him and the chair off the table, sending them both crashing down to the mat. Yeah, that was another cringe moment. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the, it's like, if you're gonna get up there, make sure you get the move off. Don't be like, oh, try to spoil this. It's like, no, if you try to spoil that, it's the margin for error is like 98%. You just fall on your ankle funny. Yep. The Crippler places Sabu on the table and follows up to hit a power bomb off the top rope table down to the mat while Paul E. cracks Malenko over the head with his phone. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because Benoit makes the cover for the pin... And the wind. And new! Post-match, the Crippler takes the mic and issues a challenge to Public Enemy, which brings them back out. Even as Rocco is bleeding from his side. He's bleeding through his shirt for like his kidney. Or... Yeah, it's like, I don't even know what that is. I wasn't sure if it was real or not, but... It's pretty gross. <laughs> Grunge gets in the ring and he gets the better of the triple threat with a clothesline, some vertical suplexes, as all of a sudden 911 carries Taz back out to the ring. My th- headcanon is that he took Taz to the back and like never set him down. He's <laughs> just been holding him the whole time for the last like seven minutes and then runs back out. Like he's just like burping Taz over his shoulder like a big baby. <laughs> Triple Threat and Public Enemy start brawling on the outside of the ring when 911 climbs into the ring to press slam the maniac over the ropes onto the two teams. Taz so, has a weapon. 
Sabu then climbs to the top rope, coming off with another crossbody onto both teams as well. Paulie's yelling at the ref in the ring while everyone brawls on the floor. And then 911 choke slams the ref. <laughs> For no reason outside of that he has to. Which is just a normal thing at this point. You just have to do it. While the everybody, the everybody then brawls to the back. Yeah, it's the 911 might not want to um, choke slam the ref, but it's forced. On them by the crowd at this point. It's like, oh, he just has to hit yeah, choke slam every ref. If doesn't hit this choke slam, then the crowd doesn't go home happy. Yeah, if he doesn't choke slam a ref, then was it an ECW show? Exactly. <laughs> if a ref gets choke slammed in the woods, is it an ECW show? <laughs> we go to ringside. Joey Styles is there with Sandman and the woman, along with a big blue box. What's in the box? Woman is angry at Cactus Jack for talking about her husband, which we all know is Kevin Sullivan. Mm-hmm. She never says the name, though, because you know he's in WCW. Can't say his name. Yeah, but... This week. They, it's kind of funny, too, because it's like, oh, well, she's Sandman's, like, valet. Why are we talking about Kevin Sullivan? Where's the kayfabe? Breaking kayfabe? I'm just kidding. It's ECW. Who cares? And she's also mad at him for trying to injure her meal ticket, Sandman. So she calls him out. Jack makes his way out to the ring when all of a sudden DC Drake comes out of the box leading us to our seventh match. Uh, DC Drake versus Cactus Jack. Wow. Remember when Cactus Jack was the one that used to come out of the boxes? Uh Uh-huh. Way back then. That came out of the box. Uh, Oh. Jack was a surprise, I thought. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he, he, was, yeah, he There was, was a couple from Lex to Sting. I think That's it right. was uh, an Oli time period thing where there yeah. was a couple of boxes. But, like either that or as uh, Kevin Sullivan thing back then. He's uh, just rehashing DC, it. DC Drake started from the bottom. He's still here? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so Bad joke, and I'm Kayfabe reason, Sandman was still suffering a concussion from the Texas death match that they had at Double Tables. So he was not... Medically cleared to wrestle at this show. So woman promised a mystery opponent leading up to this show. To what end? DC Drake? We could have just had another Sandman. Joey then tells us that Drake is known as a violent, sadistic wrestler from the Pennsylvania area. Who was one time managed by woman. From the Penn... We're in Philadelphia. Basically what I found about DC Drake... Is that he was on the very first two ECW shows that they ever had, and then he retired, and this is his first match since then. And that was oh. back in 1992. I wonder if he's only ever been in three matches then. If he was in anything before ECW. Uh, he was in some regional jersey <laughs> stuff. Uh, he's yeah. a, 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 a roadman. Yeah. He is oh, not, yeah. not a Hall of Famer. I'm Definitely assuming. not. We will never yeah. see him again after not this. Not even match. in Nebraska. And this is the first time we saw him. So the two men are brawling around the ring, using thumbs to eyes and biting of foreheads, until Cactus Jack smashes Drake's head into a turnbuckle and choking him down to the mat before tossing him to the outside, where Jack uses a chair across the shoulder of DC. Frying pan shot to the face before both men roll back in where Drake rakes the eyes and uses the timekeeper's hammer across the face of Cactus Jack. 
Jack recovers to toss DC out to the floor again, following out to give him a DDT, but reverses ramming Cactus Jack into a guardrail and choking him with a television cord. They're brawling on the outside until Jack gets the advantage, and somehow the camera cuts away to a shot of woman, which is better than most of this match. If we got to the spot where DC... Drake like slaps at a fan and the fan looks pissed. He's also like four inches taller than DC Drake. Probably because this match is basically over at this point. It's basically over, so it already happened. Which allows Cactus Jack to hit an elbow off the apron and smash a stop sign across the body of Drake. Back in the ring, Jack hits the doubled arm DDT for the pin. And, and the win. win. And that double arm DDT looked like shit. And people are chanting... Are they chanting ECW or DC sucks? Because I couldn't quite tell. Honestly, couldn't tell. I had it cranked. This isn't the best audio or video. Post-match, immediately. Sandman's in the ring with the kendo stick, nailing Cactus Jack multiple times until Jack reverses a whip, following up with a bulldog. Woman rakes Cactus Jack's eyes, allowing Sandman to get some more cane shots in as he goes after Woman. And these canes are just floppy and cracked right over the head. Yep, not the back, not across the shoulders, right over the head. Drake then joins Sandman to double-team Jack, but a telegraph back body drop allows Cactus Jack to kick Sandman and deliver another DDT to DC. This one looks better. Jack clotheslines Sandman to send them both over the top rope to the floor where they continue to brawl, knocking the Sandman into the blue box, which is covered by a black blanket. Cactus Jack then grabs the wrapped-up Sandman in the blanket and rolls him into the ring. But when he takes the blanket off, it's Terry Funk! Oh, wait, yeah, I forgot. This is supposed to be a Terry Funk show, isn't it? Return of, we thought maybe it could have been George Clinton. Maybe it could have been Dory Funk Jr. Maybe it could have been Flash Funk. But it's Terry Funk dressed as the Sandman. Jack and Funk have words before they start slapping each other and trading blows. Terry! Sandman joins Terry in working over Cactus Jack with more king shots. Rude. Joel Goodhart then runs down to help Jack, but he's immediately caned and tossed to the floor before they use the kendo stick for a double clothesline on Cactus Jack. Some other guy comes in and does nothing. While Jack gets the cane and starts using it on Funk. Oh, that other guy. I was like, who is that? Because someone else is about to come out too. But Terry just keeps asking for more until he just steals the kendo stick away to use it on Cactus Jack. Sandman comes back with another cane and they are both going to town. When another random guy runs in, only to be caned right back out to the floor. Isn't Mikey one of them? Is it Mikey? I... I, I, I couldn't re- tell. I rewound it a few times and I was like, it looks like Mikey, but I don't know if it's Mikey. Funk then has a mic and starts yelling something before using it as a weapon as well. <laughs> when Chad Austin runs in to help, only for him to be caned and tossed to the floor. You get a cane. You get a cane. Tommy Dreamer then runs in, ducking several Sandman cane shots and knocks some sense into Sandman with right hands allowing to take the kendo stick and use it over the head of him. Funk is then challenging Dreamer to hit him, but he can't do it, as Terry is his mentor. So he drops the cane, allowing Sandman to grab it and hit Tommy from behind. Stupid fucker. 
Funk starts using the mic again, yelling at Jack that he hasn't forgotten about Japan, where they had had some brutal death matches. More cane shots from Sandman, chair shots from Terry on Cactus Jack, when Shane Douglas climbs into the ring. The franchise looks on as Woman tries to seduce him that the triple threat could be even bigger than the four horsemen. Shane looks like he's going to use the belt on Jack, with Funk shoving him into action. But Douglas then decks Sandman and then Terry with his belt several times to clear the ring as the show fades to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Return of the Funker? I mean, this was a very nice thing to watch after a very bad thing. Yes. This is two hours, just under two hours long, and nothing really outstays its welcome. It gets a little too, like, we keep hitting the guy with a foreign object, but this is ECW. You can't really get... It, that's, that's the appeal, to an extent. But ECW is not only that, and this show kind of shows that. We've got a great, you know, match with the Pitbulls, which is, like, a really fun tag match. You've got Marty and Douglas, Scorpio and Hector. Like, it's not just a trash show, but they put the trash matches in there. It's like, oh yeah, you get the Rottens, but then you also get a true ECW match with guys that can wrestle, but add garbage to it with the incredible fucked up tag match between Benoit, Malenko, Taz, and Sabu. Like, the show is really fun, I feel like the weakest link might be that the main event is overbooked and not particularly... I like where they're going. I didn't really like how they got there. Yeah. I'm kind of on the same boat there. I mean, definitely a lot better than the last show that we watched. It had a nice little sprinkling of excitement. It had some storytelling. It had some surprises in there, and then it had, you know... Terry Funk in a box. Shitty moments that you had to sprinkle in there just to give people a reason to go to the restroom or, you know, give them something to bitch about. But, I mean, even those were, I say shitty moments, they weren't shitty, shitty moments. They were just not as exciting as some of the other stuff, but they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. I think that if the last match was just a little bit cleaner, maybe... I'm not sure, but the the last match is just a a little overbooked, wouldn't you say, Matt? The last I match? No. You don't know? I mean, it's, it's a little sloppy. It's just an all out brawl. It I mean, is, but I just mean like the the logic of it all. It seems like just a little a little much. The DC Drake, the Terry Funk in a box. I mean, it's anticlimactic with having DC Drake as the surprise mystery opponent. They get they get him out of the way quick. They do. But I mean, we could have just not had him at all. I mean, it would have made more sense for Funker to be the... If it should have be been the... Funk and Cactus Jack with Sandman and Woman in Funk's corner, and then Shane Douglas comes out to, like, save Jack or something. It, yeah. That the, would have been much Like cleaner. the three or four other people that run down. I mean, I can I understand the Dreamer one, because Dreamer's still in a feud with Sandman as well. He's in, yeah, yeah. He's so in like, an eternal you know, two, feud with Yeah, Sandman. like, Mikey yeah. comes out, some other guy comes out, then Dreamer comes out, Shane Douglas comes out last because these guys were getting taken out, or there needs to be something going on. They try to sway him, and it's then he turns on of, 
yeah. stardom. And we could have yeah. we could have accomplished all of that in the same amount of time without DC Drake. Yeah. But that being said, the show is blast. It's I not agree. it's not a like holy shit you got to see this, but there's some stuff on this show you should see. Definitely, definitely. Janetti, Douglas, Scorpio, Hector. I mean, it's and I, the, the, the tag match. I mean, I really feel like it's a it's it's a good show that shows off a variety of different styles. You get the major bloodbath with the Rottens. You get the spot fest with the tag team championship match, and then you get the you get two the, technical matches. You get the crazy brawl with the main event and the aftermath and of it. So two technical matches. That's a lot for ECW. Yeah. With Scorpio Guerrero and Douglas Gennetti, where it's like, oh, these are matches that are quality WCW or WWF matches. Like, these are, like, show stealers for, for them. And this is in a... Well, not a bingo hall. It's in the ECW arena. I'm not here to be a jerk. They got an extra 150 people in this building. Damn right they did. For good reason. I would have loved a minute this show. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? My favorite super kick of all time. <laughs> I seriously, I I don't know why, but it like I popped for it and I rewound it so many times. Because maybe it was just the bad camera, maybe it was the angle that made it look so good, but it was just so, so good. Yep. I mean, that was always one of the most frustrating things about Marty over the years, was he had all this talent, potential, and everything. He just kind of Couldn't wasted get out of his own himself. Way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we have said, we've said many times when we were watching Rockers matches that Marty was the better of the two Rockers. He's the more technical one. He doesn't have the charisma, but yeah. he's yeah. technically Yeah, he was the technical better. one. Sean was better on the mic, I guess, in a way. Yeah, you know, they yeah. kind of bad back then. Sean's like a like four in like every category, uh, maybe a five in looks. But then you have guys like like Bret Hart's not the greatest promo, but you know he's real. But like nobody's got a better psychology or like in ring safety and blah blah blah. And some guys are just wildly technically proficient, like your Marty Jannetty's. But like nobody, Marty Jannetty's not particularly handsome, and he can't. Nobody wants to hear him talk. Actually, Marty, I mean, he's 90, not a, 90s Marty was, he's not was an ugly pretty man, boy. But he's not, he's not Shawn Michaels handsome. Shawn Michaels grew into his looks. In the beginning, Marty was the pretty one of the oh, two. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, I just, he was the one that the girls used to freak over, and then, you know, Shawn started cleaning himself up, separating his eyebrows a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. Him. He was a little ugly duckling? I mean, not ugly. Yeah. But I mean, just I mean. of the two, he was not the, the most handsome. Huh. For me, my favorite moment is like right after Taz gets carried to the back, <laughs> Sabu just goes crazy with like moves, like oh. flying moves to the outside. He like literally hits He's five in like in like in like less than a minute. Yeah. It's insane. I was just like, yes, that's exactly what I want from Sabu. Also, the first one he does like <laughs> legitimately, Dean Malenko just like tries to grab his gut so he doesn't like plant his face or like break his wrist on the concrete. The show's a lot of fun. ECW's on a roll right now with the shows we've been covering. I mean, even the first match, we're usually not, like, we understand what the purpose of a squash match is, but here in ECW, they do the squash match so well. 
Because, like, this Pitbulls match... I love the Pitbulls match. It's a great match. Yeah. Even though we know that, like, it's a it's a squash match. Yep. And But it's... It served the purpose that it should. It got the crowd fired up. It, uh... It, it was quick. It was effective. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, like said, <laughs> it was quick and effective, which is... But it wasn't, like, too quick uh-uh. to where these guys looked like nerds. It wasn't just, like, yeah. walk in and, like... It wasn't a, a Goldberg squash match. Yeah. <laughs> like it was. I mean, there wasn't. You know, compared to the the Super Brawl, where every match felt like it was twenty minutes longer than it should have been. Each match that I think was on this show, it didn't really run too too long. Well, I mean, they did. They did twice the re- more than twice the wrestling in under two hours. Yep. But the other show was two hours and forty five minutes. And this didn't feel rushed. Huh. No, not at all. Another one of my favorite moments uh, is actually, it's a kind of a storyline moment, but uh, when Dreamer comes in, he has the kendo stick, and but he won't hit Terry because because of you know the that mentorship. mentorship and everything. It was nice, but it was one of those things where I think that that last match was a little sloppy, so that moment could have been stronger, but it's still good. I mean, he had dedicated the rest of his career to Sandman a couple shows ago. So That's true. the fact that Sandman and Terry Funk are together, that just makes sense. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How about most disappointing? DC fucking Drake? Yeah, yeah DC Drake really DC just Drake is your main that. event. He's so unnecessary for this last thing where it could just be like Cactus Jack on his own. And Cactus Jack on his own, being a lone man and being the underdog is great because... He can take the bumps, he can take the beating, and everybody believes that he can take it. So when people come out there to save him, you really, it really, all it does is make Jack more over, and then whoever saves him over, and then if Tommy Dreamer is that guy, and there's a story to tell between him and Funker, uh, like, it just, DC Drake just got in the way. Like just have Funk be the mystery opponent. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's that's my disappointment. There is you have a show called Terry Return Funk? the Funker, and the Funker's I mean, in it for five minutes. The the reveal is cool and all, but like literally, you just say, "Well, here's here's your opponent," and Funk's music hits, and he walks out, and the crowd goes fucking crazy. It's, probably it'll be, maybe better. Like, was the show called Return of the Funker when it first aired? Probably not. I don't think this was. I think this was a tape show. It's the name of the tape, basically. It's not the name of the show. They just. It's an ECW house show. Yeah, this is like they sold the tape or whatever. But like, I don't think that this was. I mean, it's just like double double tables. It wasn't called double tables until okay after the fact. Yeah, it was just a. I mean, yeah, but the yeah, it's just the DC Drake thing. It's like if they just booked that the last thing, the, the idea for it all is very good. It's just Terry Funk doesn't need to be a surprise. It's like, it's not a. It's it's just a waste of Terry Funk to, for him to be a surprise. He's uh, over as hell. I mean, I'm all for Terry Funk being a surprise, but don't surprise me with somebody I've never ever ever heard of. And then be like, oh yeah, Terry Funk's here, and it's like, fuck, we would have screamed just as much. Yeah, Sandman, you know, can't wrestle, whatever. So here is his replacement. It's Terry some Funk. guy that you don't know. And I mean, the crowd responded correctly uh-huh. to DC Drake being the guy. I mean, I was because they with him. they I was had absolutely my head. like other than maybe like sign guy and hat guy, no one in that crowd knew who the fuck DC Drake was. Yeah, and like 
Now would be your perfect moment to bring out old Sal Balamo. Oh my gosh, Sal Balamo. At least everybody knows, everybody knows who that guy is. Yeah. I'll never forget Sal Balamo. Yep. How about best performer of the night? That's a toughie. I mean, I'm going to go I'm Gennetti just because it was a great match and we don't see him very often and we don't very often see him get to go this hard. You know what I mean? Like, We've seen him have good matches in uh, the WWF, but here he's, like, there's no WWF style here. This is just fucking wrestling. And he has a wrestling match. I'm going to give you guys a hot take. Okay. Pitbull number one. That's actually my least favorite match on the show. What? You didn't like it? Shane versus Marty. I was just, maybe, I don't know. See, for me, that one... I liked it a lot. I I didn't think it was bad, but it just... It was just kind of my least favorite match on the show. I don't think it's the best Shane Douglas match, but I think that I was very excited to see Marty and see Marty go like fucking 99 miles an hour. I think part of it's just because I'm tired of Shane. I mean, I know why Shane's fighting all these former WWF, WCW guys, because his whole gimmick is, is like, come on, challenging Ric Flair, Hogan, Hogan, Hogan Brett, Sean, you know, whoever has the belt to come and fight him. So I get the gimmick, but I think it's dragging on a little too far. And, yeah. and I bring, don't mind bring, if it brings bringing in, Marty in Jenny, bringing Jenny. in Tully Blanchard and Marty Jannetty. Like these guys, like totally no one actually be. thinks that these guys are going to win. Yeah. No, but if Marty was signed and he won, that would have been wild. But of course, we know that's not the case. But I mean, I understand that with Tully. I was excited. I mean, I was Marty. excited to see him. Don't get me Marty wrong. Marty is very technical, and Shane is. Is that wonderful combination of intelligent and technical? Yep. Whereas, like Cebu is a wild man; they can do wild shit, but there's not a fucking. His brain is made of rocks. I don't know who my. No, no shade. Cebu is one of my favorite dudes ever. I mean, I think Cebu is my favorite just because of that. Like I said earlier, the, my favorite moment of the entire show is him just doing all those. Oh yeah. Moves like within like three seconds of each other. I will say that is probably the most exciting match on the show. Definitely, because like I said, it reminded me of that the I good mean, the good Hase Steiner brothers match. But like that has two, two of my top five guys of all time in the match. So <laughs> uh, Benoit and and Taz. Tasmania. Yeah, gonna kind of kind of be there. Yeah, for sure. And like yeah, and you know, Dean and uh, and Dean's not far behind in the in the pecking <laughs> order of favorite guys to watch. Yeah. So. yeah. But yeah, Dean and Sabu uh, aren't aren't anything to uh, you know shake your finger at. No, definitely not. Yep. Did you finally figure out who you wanted, Shane? Oh, it's a toss up because I mean, my Marty uh, thing Benoit is mostly... stands out to me just because he he had some some good moments in there. Hector Guerrero just because I didn't expect very to see him. Limited on. The times that I've seen him wrestle, so it was cool to see him post Gooker. And he also like he's been around for so long that he gets a really good match out of Too Cold. Yeah. Too Cold, obviously technically like proficient, but like he's not gonna put together a match as good as that. I mean, Too Cold's had some pretty good matches here lately. Yeah, he definitely has. He's, he's definitely leveled up uh, since showing up in WCW a couple of years ago and slipping that, on every since rope. Since that match with Sabu where we were just like afraid <laughs> for their lives. <laughs> yeah, where they were both just like, they're, they, it's like they put in, you know, when you put the chalk on your hands to play uh, 
pool. It's like they put Vaseline on their feet before they before they went into the ring, and it's like, no, no, please no. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to Triple Threat. I enjoyed that. It's a good, good group to give it to. How about most surprising? That's where Marty comes in because I wasn't expecting to see him in ECW. Yeah. For me, it would be Marty and the poor use of Terry Funk. Poor, poor is a weird way to put it. A, a disappointing use of Terry Funk. Yeah, that Heyman didn't see the that Heyman saw that DC like putting DC like, like it's still just like amazes me. I, this I, whole I DC of, Drake thing. It almost like, makes it, sense. It, that it, if it just wasn't... makes it makes too much sense to have Funk just be the mystery opponent. Mm-hmm. It just makes too much sense. And it's one of those things, too. It's and like, maybe it's, DC Drake was Heyman a last-minute like, thing. Not... Maybe Terry Funk had the flu. I don't know. But like, but he was sitting DC in the Drake, box the entire time. But DC Drake could not have been, like, the original plan, right? It seems crazy. But maybe it was. We'll never know. Paulie doesn't remember. Probably not. Yeah, he's got... He's got a, his brain is chicken wings and promos. What will Google tell us? <laughs> Nothing. Was DC Drake yeah. the original... Partner, your phone's just gonna start playing Jesus Freak by DC Talk. <laughs> should, should, should we just tweet at Heyman? And see if go. he answers this. <laughs> you try, can't hurt. All right, we'll do it live on air. Heyman hustle. Maybe Joey knows. We'll add him in the. We'll add him in the tweet. <laughs> I don't actually know if I have Heyman. Ninety four, Return of the Funker was DC Drake the original opponent. Heyman hustle. We'll see if Joey's Joey Styles. I got him too. Okay. At Return of the Funker was DC Drake, the original mystery opponent. And if so, why? Because <laughs> we can't just have a yes. We need, we need an explanation. Capitalize all three letters. Of why? <laughs> exclamation, and, and, question mark, and, exclamation, and if question so, mark. so, why? Terry Funk doesn't even need a theme song in that venue. He doesn't need a thing. Tweet it out. Yeah. If well, we get an answer, we'll, we'll let you know. It'll be the best exposure we ever got. <laughs> and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Ric Flair had won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship at Starcade 1987 and held the title for over 450 days. But on February 20th, 1989, he would meet Ricky Steamboat at Chi-Town Rumble in a match where the dragon would cradle up the nature boy while he attempted to apply the figure four to give Steamboat the only major title in his career. Ricky Steamboat, born 1953 in New York before moving to Florida where he was a wrestling state champion in high school. He would make his professional debut in 1976 in the AWA before making his way south to Jim Crockett Promotions, where he would be matched up with a young upstart Ric Flair over the NWA Mid-Atlantic Television Championship. Steamboat would continue to find success in JCP with multiple United States and tag team reigns, but it would eventually go to the WWF, appearing on the first four WrestleManias, including stealing the show at WrestleMania three, in most people's opinions to win the WWF Intercontinental Championship. But Ricky would choose family over work soon after, which did not sit well with management and would soon be relegated to a lower position. Steamboat would then show up as a surprise partner in a tag match against the Four Horsemen, 
pinning Flair to become his next challenger. After his title win, Ricky would work for many more years until a back injury would force him to retire. For his accomplishments, Steamboat has been inducted into the NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Ricky Steamboat would not have much time to celebrate, as the Nature Boy was due a rematch, and he wanted it as soon as possible. The two men would match up again the next month in New Orleans at Clash of the Champions 6 in a 2 out of 3 falls match, where Steamboat would retain with controversy. So the feud would continue into a trilogy. I mean, Ric Flair's 1989 is maybe the best year of a wrestler I've I've watched to this point in um, my life. The Steamo trilogy. Uh, we got s- matches with Sting and Luger and a uh, Terry Funk trilogy. Uh, Steamboats. I just want to go back and watch Ric Flair's 89. Ric Flair's 89 and Steamboat and Rick Rude, 92, two out of three falls, is one of my favorite matches. Love Steamboat. It's a shame that he could never commit, but I'm glad he at least committed to his family. Next week, Uncensored. Going back to WCW. What do you think the word is? Uh, Fuck, shit, maybe it's Hogan? I think the Uncensored word might be Hogan. Uh, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Let's yeah. just say it's but, a yeah, bunch bunk, of gimmick matches. Bunk, bunkhouse, um, fuck, uh, black top booty. Bunk, uh, funk, Egypt. Yeah, what? yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A wonder cunt. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss '65 by White Zombie. Five, five. Yeah. And Cactus Jack won our main event, so we play his song Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. Cactus Jack using Steppenwolf never on a motorcycle. I mean, honestly, if Cactus Jack ever owned a motorcycle, he would have probably just died on the road. We can't have that. Probably. (laughs) If you like this show or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Or you can, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always email us. Recipes. I need recipes. Where are we going, going next? Mississippi. Tupelo, Mississippi. Ooh. I mean, that, that, I, I think you should we probably been to Mississippi. Probably, probably pretty easy to have some fun there. Uh, yeah, that one. Some boiled peanuts. Ooh. I'm just kidding. Oh, kidding. I like a boiled peanut. I'm kidding. It was one of the best boiled peanuts I've had, but I like a boiled peanut. Those ones were. It kind of tasted like soy sauce. Soggy cardboard or something. <laughs> but if you have any of those things you can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on twitter at wrestling histox that's wrestling h-i-s-t-o-x we'll talk to you next week later